Welcome to the Seeking Stories podcast, where we unlock stories so that you can master their secrets and change the world through your writing. This week, we're talking about the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie, which really isn't that new, but it was <laughs> kind of kind of new to us. Well, because we just watched it. Because we, we just watched it. Recent. Um, the recent movie. The recent film, exactly. So, Into the Spider-Verse um, is kind of noteworthy because... I think it's noteworthy because it won uh, an Academy Award for Best Animated Film, um, which that Oscar has only been around since 2001, I think. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it doesn't have the vast history of that. So at this point, only 18 years. Yeah. Um, wow. And superhero movies have won in the past. The Incredibles, I believe, won. Um, but you just don't see that many animated superhero movies. And the ones that you do don't have a whole lot of depth mm. in a way. What are some of the animated movies that have won? Um, well, uh, interestingly, one of the fir- or the very first one that won was uh, Shrek Beat Out Monsters, Inc. Oh. So that's kind of a, a little tidbit. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, Pixar movies win. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but you know, I would say two out of three times, the Pixar movie of the year wins. Yeah. You, know, you think Toy Story 3, Up, Inside yeah. Out, yeah. Finding okay. Nemo, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I actually don't really remember a lot of the ones that weren't Pixar movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely been several you know, that mm-hmm. haven't been Pixar ones. Uh, but ironically enough, speaking of all that, um, Into the Spider-Verse actually beat out uh, Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. For, so it beat Pixar. It, it did beat Pixar. Which, it's it's kind of, I felt like in a way, it got its, um, I don't know if... It's, it's due, in a way, for um, the... Not really the directors, but the writers, co-producers, um, who uh, directed the Lego movie. Yeah. And, you know, they were some of the creative minds behind Into the Spider-Verse, which it was cool to see them, you know, kind of you know get their, their due in my mind because Lego movie wasn't even nominated for yeah. Best Animated Movie, which most people thought was a, a travesty yeah. and, and a sham yeah. and a mockery and... <laughs> all the other... All the other adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> That's an adjective, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just got my uh, adjectives and... Descriptive nouns. Descriptive nouns, yeah. 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 We obviously know our parts of speech here. <laughs> um, anyway, so that that in and of itself, um, again, I, I like Spider-Man. I, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Marvel movies, but I didn't grow up with the comics or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so when I saw there was an animated Spider-Man movie, I kind of dismissed it, not because I didn't care about it, but just been like, oh, okay. Same. But then, you yeah, know... Yeah, same. And not that I put a whole bunch of stock in the Oscars, but when... A movie like that wins best animated movie. You kind of turn your head and say, "Huh." It makes you, yeah. It makes you turn, yeah, and take up and sit, sit up and take notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So based on that, um, Kristen and I somehow find found the time to to watch it, <laughs> and um, to only took two nights because yeah. the first night was interrupted by putting a six month old to back to sleep back to sleep which took an hour and then Kristen came back and found me asleep on the couch and we said we'll yeah. watch it finish the, the rest tomorrow yeah. uh, but I want, kind of wanted to start on that note because we um, actually stopped the movie right at the midpoint of the story yeah exactly and one of the things that the story does really well is that it's structured very well mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of superhero movies can be you know all over the place and structure isn't everything in and of itself um, you know story is kind of what this, what your story is about, and structure is how you tell it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's you know tons of different you know structure ideas, but one of the most um, 
one of the most bestest <laughs> ways to one of the um, most effective story elements to do is to have a midpoint and um, a lot of people will even write their stories from the middle in a way huh. and that's just saying um, James Scott Bell actually wrote a book called write your story from the middle and it's basically saying the the middle moment of the movie, the almost the moment of of truth. Uh, it's it's really the moment where the characters see um, kind of a major truth they haven't discovered before, um, or they see the gravity of their circumstances. Um, it's just really an intense moment. It's not the worst moment by any means, but it's really a moment where the characters have said they're already past the point of no return. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of discover the consequences of it all, the gravity mm-hmm. of it all. Yeah. So in this movie. Um, well, actually, what would be an example in another movie, like a famous movie or a well-known pick a movie and I'll, uh... I'm sure I'm sure I'll think of any movie right now. (laughs) I'm just tired. Um, I don't know. Fellowship of the ring. Does it have one? (laughs) It does. Um, so really the fellowship of the ring, and I'm trying to think because, you know, Lord of the Rings, it's, you can either, you can either do it, you break it up into the three parts of the trilogy or the, um, the fellowship as a whole. So I'm just trying to think of that in that note. The Fellowship of the Whole, it's the, the Council of Elrond where Frodo decides to take the ring to Mordor. Because that's the midpoint? <clears throat> that's the midpoint of the story. Okay. Um, because, you know, he's already, you know, set out the front door. He's already crossed into the, the point of no return. No matter what, his journey is going to be, or his, his life can be different. Mm-hmm. But he does have the opportunity to turn back. Mm-hmm. And at the midpoint, he realizes that, oh man, if he goes forward, it's, you know, to the... There's, there's no turning back at that point. Yeah. Um... In the story from that point really does get, allow for a few moments of turning back. You could argue there's a few moments that he could have turned back here yeah. and there, but that would have just, yeah, you know, it would have had a very unresolved yeah. journey for him. Yeah. Um. So that a moment where the character almost has to make like a choice in the middle a lot of times, mm-hmm. not always. Yeah. So before this, they you you know you say they've already passed the point of no return, but not like the ultimate point of no return. Like they've reached a point where they're not gonna they can still go back, but they won't be unchanged. Is it that kind of thing? Right, right. So, so yeah, the point of no return is really the point where they, the characters say, you know, I'm going to take the next step into this journey knowing that, it, like like Gandalf says to Bilbo and the Hobbit, you know, if, if you come back, you won't be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, if they leave, they won't be the same when they come mm-hmm. back. You know, they're, they're leaving their, the comforts of their home. Yeah. They're leaving their normal world um, knowing that when they return, things are going to be different. Yeah. You know, even if they return the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the midpoint is the point where things really get serious. So, Not that things aren't serious up to that yeah. point. But is the midpoint technically another spot where the character could have said, oh, never mind, I'm going back? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes, no. Yeah. I mean, Fellowship is definitely one of those stories where Frodo could have turned back. Yeah. And possibly got back to the Shire okay. Yeah. Um, but most stories, you know, they don't really have the opportunity to turn back at, at the midpoint. Or yeah. if they, they do, it's... It's definitely not to the, the norm they had before they stepped out their front yeah. door. It's not going to make things better. It's just giving up in a way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. It, it's not always a choice. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's just understanding the truth of everything. Right. Yeah. Realizing how bad things are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, I, would, I think another example is uh, in Toy Story, midpoint is when they enter Sid's house. Mm. You know, at that point, you know, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of scuffles between Woody and Buzz and all that. And, yeah. Um, but that's the point where it's like, oh man, things are going down now. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not even the worst part of the story. Right. But it's where the, the characters start to understand things. Right, right. Um, and into the Spider-Verse, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, before we talk about the midpoints, I'm sure that would help a little bit. Do you want to give a very brief 
summary of the story, Kristen? Um, I'll do my best, <laughs> seeing as I've only watched it once. Um, well, that makes two of us. Just just a micro one. Well, I mean, two you, and a half sentences. You, yeah, you meet. Hmm. <laughs> Summarizing is not my strong point. Um, concisely, uh, I mean, you meet this kid. Um, Miles. Miles. Yeah, that's where I was name. Miles, um, who has just been thrust into a new environment, a new kind of like a um, what's the word? Uh, Environment. Not a proper school, but a, a a a prep school. Prep, yes, prep. That was the word I was thinking of, like a prep <clears throat> school. And so he's in this new, brand new environment, and feeling like kind of trapped, and he doesn't want to be there. So he escapes with his uncle to go, you know, do some spray painting. And he gets it's the classic, you know, he gets bit by the radioactive spider, and um, and then follows then kind of the the typical. Spider-Man, the Spider-Man character starting to experience the effects, but in, in everyday situations, like the sticky hands and the, you know, and he's dealing with what in the world is happening to me. Um, and meanwhile, while he's going through this, of course, our bad guys are out messing things up and you've got this machine that the Kingpin, our villain, has created that um, he tried turning it on and it, malfunctioned i think but during the brief time it was on it it meshed a bunch of alternate universes and so you've got other spider-mans that show up and um and i just realized i forgot in the beginning the spider-man in that universe Mm -hmm. in miles universe has been killed and yeah. he was there. He was like, I think it was after he gets bit by the spider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's to there. The point he's like, I'll show you the ropes. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause he's there. <laughs> he's gone back to find the spider that bit him. And of course there, his Spider-Man is there. Um, you know, when the machine, he's trying to stop the machine and you know, everything all happens at once. The machine does its, you know, colliding universes thing. His Spider-Man gets compromised and then the villain kills him, and so in his universe, Spider-Man has died. And um, but Spider-Man's from other universes have gotten into, has been thrust into his world. So um, he ends up running into one of them at the cemetery, mm-hmm. and they kind of get chased down, and then he, they kind of run away and. Um, um, I forget at what point. At what point do we get to the midpoint? Well, and to kind of summarize a little bit further, basically he the the new Spider-Man, Miles' character, meets up with all these other collides with all these other Spider-Man. That's why I can't remember if anything happened in between where he runs into him and they end up meeting all the other Spider characters because they go well, to but, Aunt May's house. Yeah, the bagel they, part and all that. And they break into the. Oh, that happens before. Dr. That's Octopus's. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They try to they try to fix everything on their own, and yeah. it gets kind of screwed up. So ultimately, they meet up with all these other you yeah. know Spider Mans who are great. Yeah. They're Spider Man Noir, black and white Spider Man, played to perfection by Nicolas Cage. <laughs> There's Spider Man anime, which I didn't really know where that came from. I guess it's a thing. There's like Spider Bacon or whatever the pig <laughs> spider is. Spider Ham. Spider Ham. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a version of Spider- it's like the Looney Tunes Spider-Man right yeah. um, there's a version of Spider-Man that um, Gwen Stacy is Spider Woman Spider Girl something like that something like that yeah um, and then there's the Spider-Man who becomes like the mentor 
Yeah. Um, and that's an older Spider-Man. I almost think of like um, an older Bruce Wayne from like either Dark Knight Rises or Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Someone who's a little bit more grizzled and cynical yeah. about yeah. about everything. Who turns out to be he's hilarious. Been the one he, who's been the one who's Spider-Man the longest of right, all of them, right. I think. Yeah. I yeah. think, yeah. Who's a Peter B. Parker? I mean, if you don't count the noir, because that's a different time period. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but basically, so the midpoint is after all these spider spider dudes meet up, and album has been doing Spider-Man for a while, they have their own powers and all that, and they basically question Miles and say, oh, well, what can you do? And Miles has this cool thing where he can, like, turn invisible, which none of the other Spider-Man do. Um, but he doesn't know how to control it. He can't, you know, I think he can't words, do turn it off. Command. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very clumsy Spider-Man. He just, mm-hmm. he has this moment of realization and all the characters realize it and he realizes it, that he's just kind of a liability more than, yeah. more than anything. Is that the, that, is that the moment where are they still at Aunt May's yeah. or are they back in his apartment or his like school room? It, they're still at they're Aunt, May's. Aunt May's. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and of course the story develops from there, you know, as any good story does, you know, he, he comes, Miles comes into his own over the second half of the movie and, you know, lear- mm-hmm. learns a lot of things and, you know, saves the day in the end, takes what he learns. Yeah. But I just, I thought it was super cool that, um, you know, you do have that, again, as most good movies do have, have that moment where the character just has this, you know, deep, dark moment of realization, like, oh man, I've been thrust into this world, I've chosen to take these actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I've committed to this journey, but I don't have what it takes at this point. And it's a moment of despair. Mm-hmm. And I think that type of that type of of element works really well in superhero mm-hmm. films because that's the nature of a superhero. They've they have uh, I mean to take the cliche Spider Man line with great power comes great responsibility. But yeah, superheroes traditionally have some kind of power or special ability, even if it's not like supernatural. Um, and it's, and it gives them a burden, like, like the, the classic, if I have the ability to do something, I do not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if it's something that makes things better or helps someone, yeah. you know, <clears throat> then it's like, that's a, it's almost, you feel like that you've been an accessory to whatever bad happens or something good that doesn't happen mm-hmm. or something, you know? So it's this burden of, of needing to take action. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so a moment like that where you, where you're hit with the, where the, the character is hit with either the reality of that and this kind of, um, uh, sense of, you know, am, am I going to be able to like follow through, mm-hmm. you know, can I actually do it? Um, you know, I think it, yeah, I think it works really well for that type of... Well, and the characters don't even need to learn something brand new. They just have to kind of be, um, kind of receive a re- reiteration of, it, of mm-hmm. it and just kind of learn to take action from there. Um, yeah. I think of the first Iron Man, which has a very interesting structure. It's a very bold structure because um, the character does most of his changing and growing in what most people consider to be the first act of the yeah. movie. Yeah, um, Which is, you know, very different from most mm-hmm. stories. Um but he real he kind of has that midpoint moment of realization of how intense things are halfway through the movie approximately when he's you know I just have this image in my head he's he has this big long screwdriver and he's screwing you know parts into his Iron Man arm and just watching the TV and they're talking about how the terrorists are kind of you know taking hostage you know these towns um, blowing things up and all that um, and that's when you kind of see that look on Tony Stark's face for the first time that yeah he's realized all this for half a movie approximately and now he's finally going to take 
action beyond the action he took at the beginning it, to show that it wasn't just a one-time thing he did mm-hmm. to destroy his own weapons at the beginning. Yeah. And in a way, reveal himself yeah. is Iron Man. Yeah. Um, well, because yeah. the world didn't really, you know, know about it. He hadn't made a concentrated effort to kind of be out in the open mm-hmm. and show that, you know, this is who, who he is and can do. Exists. And he makes yeah. a statement about yeah. it. And he, he really, he has that, you know, the extra mo- moment yeah. of no return there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the, the, the lot of growth that his character goes through in the first act is really more um, personal. It's not, it's not the Iron Man character. It's not the, it's not the, it's not growth within the, the, the hero persona that he ends up taking on. It's more personal, like, because he, you know, he starts out the movie, this kind of, you know, I mean, he's not a bad guy, but he's a, I mean, he, he is who he is. He's Mm -hmm. Tony Stark and he runs this arm, you know, this weaponry business and, you know, there's, there's shady things that come along with that business and just kind of the more, I guess, callousness of his, you know, I guess just the way he operates, you know, and so a lot of the growth that happens is more just of a personal nature. And I think it sets the foundation for him becoming Iron Man. Mm -hmm. So the person Tony Stark needed to grow, you know, in this way in order for him to be able to handle taking on the mantle of Iron Man. Right. And that midpoint moment is kind of the transition and the catalyst yeah. that happened. Yeah. So another part that I really like the story did well, and you don't hear this a lot in most writing classes or writing books or anything like that, but John Truby, who wrote The Anatomy of Story, popularizes it. And it's basically building your story on reveals. And reveals being the concept of either the main character or the audience or both getting new information. Okay. Consistently, you know, preferably in a good story, consistently at a more rapid pace the closer the story gets to the end. So you're constantly surprising the audience, and not for the shock and awe factor, mm-hmm. but just giving them new information to mm-hmm. keep them engaged, to keep them invested in the story, um, and to kind of keep it true in a way. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this story did that really well, both from an audience perspective and from a main character perspective. Mm-hmm. Main character perspective is kind of easy to identify because it's Spider-Man. Most superhero movies, they're learning stuff. Yeah. Um, but from an audience perspective, sometimes we can seal that, you know, a million miles away. And sometimes, you know, we, we can't, mm-hmm. you know, ideally a good story um, plays it closer to, you know, we, we, we as the audience, we like to be surprised if we feel like we've been part of it. Yeah. You know, we don't like to have the wool pull over our eyes and be like, oh, I couldn't see that coming. We like to say, oh, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we, we want to think, we participate, yeah. and be a part of things. Yeah. I like how you said that. I think it's like a balance between, you don't want the audience to say, oh, I saw that coming. And you don't want the audience to say, like, I didn't see that coming at all. You want them to say, like, I should have, I should have known that. Mm-hmm. Like, you want the audience to be thinking the entire yeah, time. So yeah. when the aha moment happens, they're all super excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Because in a way, they probably did see it coming subconsciously. They just didn't think about it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Or they refuse to let their, their mind go go there. Yeah. It's one of those things that it should make logical sense, but should be a surprise. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and for the, um, you know, sometimes it can be intellectual mm-hmm. reveals. Um, sometimes it can even be, you know, I think an intellectual reveal is, you know, the Luke, I am your father, mm. you know, bit, you know, brand new information. Yeah. Um, a non-intellectual reveal or kind of more of a plot reveal is something like, you know, the Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man that Miles meets, you know, dies almost right away. It's like, oh man, Spider-Man just died. Yeah. 
It's like that's that shouldn't happen. Yeah, like what Spider-Man doesn't die. <laughs> so so the movie yeah. is built off of, you know, all these reveals in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole thing about um, the villain Kingpin, you know, his his family, mm-hmm. you know, dying and all that. That's a big reveal because yeah. he, his he motivation huma- humanizes yeah. the the villain yeah. and makes you kind of mm-hmm. even though you know that his whole device that he's trying to use to get his family back. Mm-hmm. Um, through the multiverse thing is a bad idea because mm-hmm. the effects, but you kind of feel bad for him in a way. You you, you hope it succeeds if nothing mm-hmm. else bad happens because you do you can kind of sympathize yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, and that's the mark of good storytelling. Yeah. Would another example of the reveal, maybe this, I guess, an intellectual reveal, would be um, the the um, uh, unveiling of who the um, doctor's character really is. Mm-hmm. Dr. Octavia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and an even or, bigger reveal than that, I think, is the fact that, again, spoiler alert, um, <clears throat> that um, Miles' uncle, who he loves and looks up to, oh, is like the, ma- the main henchman. Yeah, that's a big <clears throat> And I didn't one. see that coming, and I had that moment like, oh man, I know storytelling. I know how the superior genre works. Like, yeah. I should have seen it coming a thousand miles away. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. And that was a, a great moment for, for yeah. me as an audience goer because I had the moment of, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. I feel stupid now. Yeah. Well, because you get a sense, you realize, you get a sense that his uncle doesn't really do, um, it, like, clean cut job. Right. Like, you know, his job isn't really clean cut because, like, his dad at the beginning says, he makes some comment about, like, talking about his uncle, like, mm-hmm. some people don't make the best choices or some right. something along those lines. So you get the sense that like his uncle hasn't, hasn't kept his nose completely out of the dirt, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's like, you know, so he does something that's probably not entirely, you know, the best, the best. Yeah. In his line of work. But you didn't realize that not the best was like, Oh man, he's a super henchman to a super villain. Yeah. 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 Um, so again, built story built on a lot of really good reveals mm-hmm. through, throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a, in a superhero movie, it, it lends itself to that, especially the idea of a multiverse, mm-hmm. all these universes smashing together because yeah. you can do kind of whatever you want. Yeah. Well, even the, the, the reveal, the, um, uh, moment where suddenly you realize all those other Spider-Man characters are there, not just that girl. Yeah. You know, that's another reveal. It's mm-hmm. like, there's not just three of you, there's six of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in switching gears a little bit, one so we've talked about structure a lot, um, but structure in itself doesn't make a good story. No. It helps; it's good framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons why this story worked, a few things, is that it really fine tunes a good balance between humor and seriousness. And we've been kind of raving <laughs> oh, to yeah. our friends and family, "Oh, it's so good!" And we keep they say, "Why?" Of course, and we say, "Because it's an animated Spider-Man movie that is extremely funny and ex- has an extremely deep, serious theme, and it melds." Those two, two together, well. with a very unique plot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that that plot could have you know gone downhill so quickly. Oh, yeah. You know, the idea of smashing together all these Spider-Man universes is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, in a I way. mean, well, and anytime you dip into anything sci-fi, you can you start to things start to get a little tricky. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it it can be easy to flounder in in this the science, the so-called science. right. Well, and it's it's very. Um, to kind of go back to the humor aspect of it, it's very aware of itself. You know, it, it treats itself like it's a true. comic book. You see, you know, yeah. one of the, the brilliant things it does <laughs> is that, oh, a few things, 
is that anytime they're thinking, but you hear their thoughts, you see the words on the page in the thought comic bubbles. book bubble. Yeah, yeah, thought bubbles. <laughs> yeah, I think they even use the comic sans, I'm pretty sure. They probably do, um, yeah. So, so the, the storytellers are very aware of, you know, the medium. Yeah. And, you know, basically trying to do like a moving picture comic book. Yeah. Um, well, and it actually, you know, I think, now that I think about it, I think it only happens after he gets bitten. Right. Because he says something about like, why are my thoughts so loud? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very, it's very aware of itself. Yeah. Um, and on that same note, it, it does have excellent homages to the other, who knows how many Spider-Man movies, um, without undue nostalgia or resorting to parody. Yeah. You can totally pick out bits from the original, um, you know, Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, from well, the Andrew Garfield, yeah. Mark Webb Spider-Man well, movies. Well, and it's all in the, because anytime you meet a new Spider-Man, um, like a new Spider-Man character, you get this like... Hi, my name's Peter Parker. I'm Spider. I've been Spider Man for. Yeah. You know, I was bitten by a radioactive spider. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like you. He gives a summary of his story, and I've been Spider Man for this many years. And with each new Spider Man, you get their story, mm-hmm. and each one it's different because of the different iterations. Right. You've got, you know, they've been Spider Man for different amounts of time. You know, they've got slightly, especially when you get to like the female Spider Man. She's like because it's Gwen Stacy. You know, in her case, it wasn't a traumatic like. You know, my uncle Ben died, whatever, blah blah blah. For her, it's my best friend Peter Parker died. Yeah. And I, ever since then, I, you know, and it's like so you get different stories, and every time they do it, you get this montage of mm-hmm. like things that happen in their life, and from the first to like regular Spider-Mans, I guess, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Um, you get yeah, they get they flash these scenes that if you've seen the other Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, that you see like. Hey, I remember that from that's from yeah. you know the very very first Spider Man, yeah. and they they throw those in. Well, even some of the imagery later on, like there's one bit you know where one of the Spider Mans, I think it might be the Miles one, is trying to stop this train, and it's very very reminiscent of this that scene from Spider Man too. Yeah. Um, and then there's um some like a uh, construction machinery that's very reminiscent to the stuff from the Amazing Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's great about it is that it doesn't the, the story does is not built on these things. It does not rely on them at all. But it's really fun Easter eggs if you know it. And if you don't know it, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Which yeah. is brilliant. It doesn't hit you in the face. It's like, it's sly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just plays the humor so well. Um, again, kind of kind of a spoiler for the comedic scene, not, not a plot at all, plot, or a plot spoiler at all. But there's one scene um, where the, uh, the, the 40-year-old Spider-Man and the Miles Spider-Man are about to sneak into the secret facility. And kind of, the, they're like, oh, this is what we're going to do. It's what this older Spider-Man says. And he says, at some point, I'm going to grab a bagel, and we're going to run out the door and do all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, he, like, he, he summarizes their plan as if it's going to be, like, easy peasy, one, two, three, out. Yeah. Like, I'll get a bagel along the way. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of such a throwaway line. But then, later on, when... <laughs> so he, Things have not gone Things have not, not gone, gone right. And he basically tells the other Spider-Man, turn invisible. I can't. The, you know, Miles Spider-Man re- retorts, and then they're just walking through the cafeteria, and then the old Spider-Man like, says... just act like we're, like, we're just, you know, yeah. they're going to act natural. And then he just says, grabbing a bagel. <laughs> and he's just, <laughs> it's the most random, awkward, yeah. nonchalant thing yeah. that totally would have been out of place if they hadn't said a fit joke yeah. not yeah. ten minutes before. Yeah. <laughs> and because there's good jokes set up, yeah. the payoff is, you know, phenomenal, yeah. especially when they're noticed five seconds later, and someone says, he grabbed a bagel! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a typical, yeah. you know, joke in three parts in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this one thing it does... Technically four if you count the bagel Yeah, when the, he throws, the bagel hits a guy in the head and there's a little bubble that says yeah. bagel. <laughs> um, but all, all that to say, you know, it, it does... 
um, it does the humor well. It knows how to set up jokes mm-hmm. and and pay them off. Yeah, and um, even just the even just the the idea of comic book animation, mm-hmm. like the cartoon style of of comic book, is is utilized to comedic effect. You know, just with that, the like the thought bubbles mm-hmm. and the you know. When he falls the, off the building, and you see ah. Yeah, the, like, word, the words uh, written fall fall after him. Yeah, just things like that. It's just, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It turns the things that you mm-hmm. expected the cliches and flips them on the head to either yeah. lovingly make fun of them, yeah. or to tell a true true joke yeah. from it. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, it's not just the the humor because again, if it was just all funny, it'd been a fun movie to watch once and then forget about. Yeah. But it does theme so well. Mm-hmm. You know, specifically the, the themes I've noticed are. You know, and it's typical for superhero movies, not that this is a bad thing, but family, and more specifically, not letting relationships fall apart. You know, early on, we see that Miles, you know, the new Spider-Man, his dad and his uncle, either are not on the best terms or aren't talking or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And there's the danger of Miles and his dad going down that same route as well. Mm-hmm. And you see that relationship kind of splinter and then come back together mm-hmm. by the end, and you see the importance importance of that Mm -hmm. and one of the brilliant things about the movie and i think why it works so well is that the villain is going through the exact same thing in a different aspect in a Mm -hmm. way you know he has already lost his family but he's trying to do whatever he can to get them back yeah his his danger is that he's he's doing it at the expense of the rest of the world right yeah well and when you see kind of the brief summary of kind of what happened you see it's because of (laughs) You know his his poorly chosen lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know um, affected his wife and kid, and because of his actions, provoked their actions, which led to their mm-hmm. death. So it's yeah. like kind of in it. You know, if you trace back the steps, it was his fault. Yeah, yeah. You know? And you know, and he blames. Of course, he blames it on Spider Man mm-hmm. because you know, yeah. even and, the Spider Man didn't do it. And the cool thing is that if you take the theme one layer even deeper so it's you know your your main character has to be kind of the 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 clothesline that holds the the theme in a way mm-hmm. um you know your antagonist should also reflect that mm-hmm. but then when you start having minor characters supporting characters support that as well that's when your story becomes deep mm-hmm. and that's you know when the mentor spider-man the 40-year-old spider-man you know the story basically implies that you know him and mary jane are sadly no longer together in his universe in his universe yeah. and he has to he figure out up. how to yeah put together pieces for that mm-hmm. and takes that same idea of not letting relationships fall apart. Mm-hmm. In his case, he has let it fall apart, but you're given hope at the end that he can put things back together. Yeah. So it just takes that theme and layers it and layers it and layers it. Yeah. And I think that's why the story works more than anything yeah. and why it deserves repeat yeah. viewings. Yeah. Well, and the, and the, the kind of the, the full circle idea that goes along with that, um, both. And of course the first time it's in reference to Miles, whether Miles can really come into his own as Spider-Man mm-hmm. and it's, but it's given back to him or given back to the older Peter Parker in really in, in reference to his relationship is like, well, how do I know it'll work? How do I know basically how am I guaranteed success? And I was like, well, you're not guaranteed success, but you know, you still have to try. Yeah. You take it's the leap of faith. That's their that's the, the phrase that comes. Yeah. It's the leap of faith. Exactly. So go for it and you know see what happens. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I love this quote on theme because theme is such a hard thing to define. But um, and I love uh, James Scott Bell's books on on writing. It's one of my favorite ones. And his book Plot and Structure. Um, I wrote this down in my little book on writing quotes. <laughs> 
It's ask yourself what the take-home value of your story is going to be. What is the lesson or insight, the new way of seeing things that you want your reader to glean? Put it into one line. This will be your theme. Think of theme as the meta message, the one big statement about the world your work of fiction will convey. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's such a great, one of the best ways I've ever seen theme defined. Yeah. And again, kind of wrap it back up around, you know, I, my kind of one-liner for that was, you know, not letting relationships fall apart, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if they do, how to fix them. Yeah. And just, you know, theme carries a story, mm-hmm. if done well. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, if you go down one side of theme and try to make, you know, a lot of people go have the danger of making theme, you know, not very subtextual and just kind of try to hammering it mm-hmm. over everyone's head. Yeah. And then it just becomes kind of preachy in a way. Yeah. And some people ignore theme together, which you can't really do because, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have a theme, a specifically chosen theme, mm-hmm. then whatever your worldview is will start to come up to the surface anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a theme is like, this is what my story's about. And then I'm just going to, you know, bury it in the middle and wrap everything else around it. Mm-hmm. So the more layers deep I go, the more I see the theme, the more I discover more and more about it. Yeah. You know, that's the way to, to write theme. You know, you want the audience to discover it throughout the story. Yeah. Rather than explicitly stated. Yeah. Not to say that it can't be explicitly stated, mm-hmm. but you can't do that from the beginning. You right. know, I would argue that one of the themes of Lord of the Rings, and there's many, is a line that Gladriel says in Fellowship is you no know, even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Mm-hmm. Um I would would you say that's the theme, one of the themes? Mm-hmm. Oh and, yeah. And that's Big explicit, one. that's explicitly stated, but it's not until, you know, two plus hours into Yeah. The fellowship. Yeah. So again, not the theme can't be stated, mm-hmm. um, but you want your audience to go on that journey yeah. to learn it and discover yeah. it, so that when it is stated, they're like, oh yeah. yeah, of course, I've seen that in action yeah. for the last you know however long. And it is, it is, it is kind of underhandedly stated in the prologue of Fellowship when she mm-hmm. says, "The time will come when hobbits may shape the fortunes of all." Right. So it's this kind of idea that it's a promise but, for more. Yeah. But it yeah. doesn't say this is what the movie's about, right, guys. Right. Yeah. Because you want your audience. Yeah. To participate, you want them to become mm-hmm. thinkers, and and truly, you know, the audience audiences really do even want to be participants in the story. They don't mm-hmm. want to be spoon fed. Yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan is very famous about trying to make, in a way, you know, he he said as much, and I think in some interviews that try to think make things a little bit difficult for the audience, make them think. He succeeded. Well, and he does in his movies. Yeah. You know, we're at the point where they're all known as what are called event movies. They have, you know. Not that an event movie means it's shot on IMAX, but you're, they're taking great pains to make them ex- epic experiences. Yeah. Having massive releases, being shot on IMAX, making them mm-hmm. not spectacles, but grand in their nature. They're intellectual spectacles. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, intellectual spectacles, um, but also visual spectacles yeah. to it. It, yeah. it doesn't you know, merge them together yeah. because mm-hmm. he, tells, he says the audiences are smarter than most people think, so let's make them work for it a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, yeah. and it, it pays off most yeah. of the time, you know, for better or worse sometimes. <laughs> it's, you know, I think, you know, I, 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 most Christopher Nolan movies have people that love them and don't love them. But I think that's a good thing mm-hmm. because it shows that people are actually thinking about it in a yeah. way. Yeah. I think the only, the only movie of his that I can think of, maybe two that just people absolutely love are The Dark Knight and The Prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dark Knight Rises, Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk. I've Who seen doesn't people... like Dunkirk? <laughs> I know people don't like Dunkirk. Um, well, in this thing, everyone says, you know, I know it's good. I mean, I'm kind of the same camp with Interstellar. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell it's really good. I don't like kind of the theme behind it. Yeah. It's very humanistic, you know, for my t- uh, for my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I 
admit that it's very, you know, well done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why a lot of people don't like Dunkirk is that it doesn't follow your tra- traditional story structure following one mm-hmm. or two characters. Yeah. It's kind of everywhere in a good way. Yeah. Because it, it takes the event mm-hmm. as more of the protagonist in, in a way. Yeah. Than, yeah. you know, one or two characters. Even though it does follow specific characters with yeah. the different narratives. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. rely on any one of those. Right. To build the story. Right. It's the event as a whole. Yeah. So he makes audience yeah. think. Well, and I think, you know, just touching on theme before we, I guess, if we um, talk about something else, I think, you know, another, I can think a more explicit theme for Into the Spider-Verse is the, the idea that any, kind of anyone can become, anyone can be Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but not, but beyond that, it's that, you know, just because that person is Spider-Man doesn't make him more special or important than anyone right. else because really for miles his turning point as spider-man is right after his dad comes to see him and of course he's webbed to a chair he can't open the door so his dad talks through him to the door mm-hmm. and gives him that kind of you know sad like i don't want to say sad pep talk but it's like he he gives him you know he's his dad speaking from his heart right. to him because he wants you know, he, he, he's reaching out to not let the relationship fail, mm-hmm. um, because of the tragedy that's just happened with his brother. Right. And, um, and he says, I'm trying to remember exactly what he says, but he says something like, Miles, you have a spark in you or something. Mm-hmm. You know, he says that the words that he says to Miles somehow kind of ignite, you know, what he needs to embrace his abilities. Yeah. And it's like, so this idea that you have what you need, like, you know, you have something inside you that's, you know, valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so then that I think coupled with the, this, that the line of like, anyone can be Spider-Man, you know, because we clearly have right now <laughs> at one point in the movie, or if you take all of the, all of the Spider-Mans in the movie, it's what, eight, Seven, seven several, or eight several. different. Yeah, it's like as many as eight different Spider Mans, mm-hmm. and they're all, they're all Spider Man. Yeah, and so it's like you know, it's not you know, it used to be what used to be Spider Man is Peter Parker. Well, now Spider Man is Miles. I don't remember his last name, mm-hmm. but you know. Yeah, well, and the cool thing too is it doesn't just say, oh, anyone can be Spider Man and leave it at that all hunky dory. It's like anyone can be Spider-Man, but those people still have to make the choices. And it does bring up yes. the great power, great responsibility oh, line. Oh, yeah. And they it just does, don't like let him say it. Yeah. <laughs> he well, doesn't like because, it. Because it is, you know, such a, you know... Cliche. It's sad because it's such a true line, too, but it's been, you know, Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man movies were some of the first, some of the, not the, but some of the very first serious comic book movies mm-hmm. before people took comic book movies seriously. Yeah. And so that line is almost indicative of all the other, you know, superhero movies and... Yeah. Cliched lines, famous lines, good lines, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it does show the idea that, you know, anyone can be Spider-Man, but you have to be willing to sacrifice to do it. You yeah. Know? And it kind of yeah. shows the two, two-sided two coin mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah. That ev- it, I think everyone that, can be, but not everyone will I think, be in a I way. think it not, it's not so much from the perspective of anyone can be Spider-Man as in anyone can be, like... It's more a Spider-Man can come from anywhere. It's... Yeah, it's. I think it's like anyone can make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's from that. So I want to keep this episode a little bit shorter since the last few episodes have been tiny, tiny bit longer than we kind of normally like. So real quick, Kristen, um, I'm putting you in the spot, but oh, scale of one to ten. I knew it. You were gonna ask me to rate the movie. <laughs> uh, um, 
Oh, goodness. I wish I had the rating system in front of me. Do you want me to go first? Yes. Okay. I think I think I have a number in my head, but I want to hear yours first. Well, it is, it's hard for me. I don't like rating movies off of one viewing because I feel like I can... I try not to get too emotional about movies, mm. but I feel like I can make an emotional decision for better or for worse upon one viewing. Yeah. There are definitely movies that I've seen that I've given too high of a rating to start with and also the opposite that have definitely grown in me throughout the years. But after a single viewing and after thinking about it for roughly a week, I can't find a single thing wrong with this movie. It's hard because a 10 for me is reserved for like the best of the best, like Lord of the Rings and the King's Speech. Um, I would give The Born Ultimatum a 10. I would give the 2009 Star Trek a 10. And I think I would give this one a 10. It's between a 9 or a 10 for me. I think okay. in the grand scheme of things, I'll probably give it a 9 once I watch it more and kind mm-hmm. of once kind of the glow of how you know epic it was kind of fades. I'm sure I'll notice things. But for now, like, I keep thinking about how many people I've told about this movie in the last week and it's like every single person i've come encountered come you know encountered with yeah come across with encountered i don't know however yeah. that said phrase goes every single person i've encountered i've told to go watch this movie i don't do that very often so long term it'll be, probably be a nine but if i had to make a decision right now i'd give it a ten yeah hmm <laughs> it's funny. I feel like I'm I'm my ratings a little bit more critical, not because I can't find anything wrong with it, but only because when I compare it to other movies I put in the top spot, like like 10-star movies, mm-hmm. it's not I just it doesn't quite live up to those. It doesn't quite live up to right. those. Right. Which is and, why I'm thinking for me it'll probably drop to a 9. Yeah. I just can't figure out why right now. Yeah. And I and and I cuz my my initial thought the initial rating that popped in my head was eight stars, but I couldn't really remember what where that was on the scale, mm-hmm. so I <laughs> I looked it up, um, and I I I feel like I think I, I right now I'm I'm wavering between an eight and a nine. Um, I could give it a nine. Uh, um, the only reason that I'm thinking about eight is because our our example movie for eight stars is Super Eight, and I love Super Eight, mm-hmm. and I feel like I would put this in the same category but i guess i'd have to i'd have to think more about what the difference between an eight and a nine is yeah and then decide where into this movie falls right so somewhere between an eight and a nine cool well anything else you want to add Kristen? no sounds good but except that i want to watch it again yeah i do too <laughs> it's currently on netflix you know if you're listening to this episode in 10 years down the road they probably have some like i don't know you can just pick movies out of the air and watch them or something <laughs> Anyway, it's a movie that I would like to own someday. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. good enough that I would recommend buying it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you again for joining us in this week's episode. Uh, next week we'll be talking about a Netflix original called Murder Mystery. <laughs> um, and if you want to continue this week's conversation on Into the Spider-Verse or have suggestions for new episode topics or just want to learn more about writing or storytelling, feel free to visit us at SeekingStories.com or any of the various social medias that may or may not currently exist when you're watching this. Listening. <laughs> yeah, or listening to this. I said that too many times in the end, watching this. <laughs> listening to this. So, until next week, go write an epic story. Mm-hmm.